0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Jesus, thank you for um, your goodness and your loving kindness. And I pray, God, that you glorify yourself in this time. I pray that you would sanctify and edify us through your word. And uh, we trust you, your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so um, hello, high school students, glad you're here. So this is a combined class uh, with uh, senior high and then old people. And um, so the senior high students, you may have noticed we've been talking about marriage. Hey, Laura. Uh, We've been talking about marriage a lot um, over the last couple of years because marriage is, you know, it's just in your face all the time, Uh, you know, on TV, movies, news, so on and so forth. And um, I kind of had this... (laughs) I had this thought. I said, "Who is informing our students more about marriage? Is it the Kardashians or is it us?" Uh, and I, I said, "Well, we don't need to take a chance on that one." <laughs> and so, so anyhow. Um, so, with that being said, um, we're going to talk about marriage for the next two weeks. And um, you know, growing up, um, growing up, I, I uh, let's say from '90 90 to '97. Uh, you know the, the kind of the, the pr, uh, kind of premier Alabama and Auburn coaches. There was Pat Dye uh, when I was in elementary school, and then there was Gene Stallings uh, at, from at Alabama, and they both kind of had the similar mentality to football. Uh, it was basically we're gonna um, we're gonna run the ball. We're gonna have a very conservative offense, and then we're gonna win with defense. Right? We're no, no one's gonna move the ball on us. They're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna capitalize on their mistakes. We're gonna kind of uh, you know, wear them wear him down every time. We're going to win with defense, right? Uh, and they, they talk about how Gene Stallings on freshman day would send all of the all the best athletes would always end up going down the defensive hall. <laughs> and then the leftovers went to offense. <laughs> and that kind of, you know, speaks to his mentality. Well, then, you know, as football has progressed, that you just can't win like that anymore. Like, you can't win uh, just playing defense and keeping it conservative on offense. Like, you have to score points now. The rules have changed such that it favors offense, such that you have to play both. You have to win with offense and defense. And so I think with marriage, um, I think with marriage you have to have an offense and a defense. Um, you know, you do want to try to do things to build your marriage, uh, but you also have to have a defense. Like you also have to be guarding yourself against things that are not true, uh, against temptations, against resentments, um, because uh, there's, there, you know, if there's one thing that Satan wants to attack, it's marriages. Um, that you know talks about in the Screw Tape Letters the first thing it says that you know it's it's basically a C.S. Lewis book from the first first person um, standpoint of the devil and he, you know, the first thing he goes after is marriages. so you have to have a defense and so this is going to be more of a defense oriented talk uh, today uh, the text we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter five uh, and we're going to get to that in a second don't you worry our our host Chris Harris um, uh, but Ephesians chapter 5, uh, and here's the thing, a lot of you are going to be familiar with this from from, marriages, from weddings, uh, particularly verses 22 through tw- 33. That's the wives submit to your husbands part that everyone loves so much. Uh, but what we're really going to focus on today is the verses before the marriage passage. We're going to look at those verses. So that's, um, that's yeah, that, that starts up here, uh, but I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to go into the, the marriage, the, the typical wedding part. All right, so Ephesians chapter 5, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ding, ding, ding. Pay attention to that. Now, the marriage part. Wives, submit to your own husbands. as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now, as uh, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up to her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that He might present the church might sanctify her, having cleansed her and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so uh, that's the text. And you can see this part about marriage, talking about uh, this self-sacrificing love that is mutually delivered both from husbands and wives. Um, But again, like I said, we're going to focus on uh, verses 17 through 21 today. Uh, primarily. And and here's why. Um, first off, and this is, uh, young people of some breed here, uh, you know, marriage is an idol in our culture. What we mean by an idol is an idol is is something where, um, you take something that's of creation, that's good, and you elevate it to be something that's on the level of the creator, that's ultimate. So, you know, there, like in this passage, um, where it talks about wine, when you're of age, wine is a good thing. But debauchery is idolatry. When you start to get drunk or abuse alcohol, that is now idolatry. You're, you're using that in a way where you expect it to deliver, to deliver things for you that only God can deliver for you. So money, money is a good thing. It's a gift from the Lord. But when we become greedy or when we just sink our entire life into making money or we become fearful and we hoard our money, it's becoming an idol. We're expecting it to deliver something that only Jesus can, can deliver for us. And so, um, so with that being said, uh, marriage is a major major idol in our culture you can see that based on the number of reality shows on television that are all about you know marriage you've you've got um you know the bachelor and the bachelorette and goodness gracious like four different kinds of say yes to the dress and uh 90 day wife and uh you know my my big fat gypsy wedding and <laughs> Uh, it just, you know, all all kinds of these shows. You can see it if you, um, you know, on the aisles um, of like a Barnes and Noble or a bookstore, there are just a gazillion magazines about weddings. And I don't mean this in a, uh, please don't hear this in a judgy way because I know this is probably true for half the room, but you can also see it in the amount of money that's spent on weddings. You know, people dropping a quarter of a million dollars on a wedding. You know, that, that says something about the expectation uh, that we have in marriage, um, that we kind of expect this to be the ultimate thing. I uh, hope that wasn't judgy. Um, but, 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 but so, with that being said, if there's an idol, um, if there's an idol, that means we have unrealistic expectations in it. Uh, and unfec- un- unrealistic expectations will always result in disappointment, frustration, resentment. And so, I wanna, just as a little example of this, I wanted to show this kind of, I mean, sad but hilarious clip from The Bachelor um, and this is, this is clips of the reaction of people who were cut on the first night. Okay, the first night, right? And by the way, this is so interesting. I actually was, spoke at a marriage conference, there was someone there who knew a contestant on The Bachelor, uh, who was on The Bachelor, and, um, she, and she kind of, it was so funny. It was like, after I'd given my talk, the person, like, then, um, uh, was, it was telling everyone, it was fascinating, about the reality of what a contestant's experience is like on The Bachelor, and, she said, first off, they get zero time with the guy. You know, they get maybe like four or five minutes uh, in the first couple of nights. So they have zero exposure to the guy. Second thing she said is they don't serve them any food. They have tons of alcohol, like all the alcohol you could ever want, and they deliberately hardly supply any food, and they, can't, they don't have access to the outside world. They can't like get in the car and go somewhere. And she said that it gets to a point after the, like, after the first couple of days... Where the contestants are famished, and like if they put food out, it is like a third world situation. (laughs) Um, And so needless to say, you know everybody's trashed because the only, you know, the only thing they're consuming is alcohol, and they have no food to chase it with. And so that's part of why you see people, you know, going cuckoo for cocoa puffs on this show. Um, But anyhow, uh, so here's here is um, here here are some reactions after being dumped for one day. and so obviously it has affected me in more ways than I realized I expected to be here for so a long time this is so, so sad Just first night. it's so really hard you know picturing my life with Juan Pablo was great and I could picture my life with him even more after meeting him okay. <laughs> <laughs> right now because I really feel like Ready to find that right person? <laughs> I'm such a terrible person. <laughs> I'm gonna skip her. <laughs> I don't wanna be like this whenever I talk to him, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stop the bleeding we're gonna we're gonna declare time of death on that (laughs) okay so anyhow all this to say it's like you know there is a disconnect with reality um this this uh this this one person is like you know, I could see myself with him, but then I met him, I could see himself even more. It's like, lady, you've been with the guy for like four minutes, you know? I mean, you basically stood next to him in the, in the shopping line at Publix, you know? And, uh, and that, that's, that's the extent of your relationship with him, and yet she's falling apart. Um, and so it just speaks to this kind of, um, uh, this, this sense of false expectation, um, elevated expectation. And it's almost like you start to objectify the person Uh, because you kind of expect them to be something that they they really can't be, that only God can be for them. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to just work through um, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. I think it's telling that this is what immediately precedes the part on marriage. And so he starts out and he says, therefore, do not be foolish, um, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, you know, this is this is what God's desire is for you. And then, this sounds kind of out of place and kind of strange, but he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so uh, what does that have to do with anything? Like, you know, being a a teetotaler. Now, what he's saying is, is, this is a statement about idolatry. Um, He's saying, do not get drunk with wine. Like, do not find your pleasure in something of the world. Do not find your pleasure in creation. He could substitute wine for five dozen other things, you know, like uh, don't seek to satisfy yourself through money. Do not seek to satisfy yourself through status. Do not seek to satisfy yourself through achievement, Um, but instead be filled with the spirit. So there's this juxtaposition. And so he's saying, you know, our natural propensity as sinners is um, the kind of the nature of our sin is to want to find our satisfaction in the world. Um, and he is saying, no, that is that is not consistent with, with what God's will and desire is for you. God's will and desire for you is that you would have life. You know, Jesus says, uh, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Like Jesus says repeatedly in the Gospel of John, I've come that you might have life. And life um, is this overall sense of well-being, this overall sense of satisfaction in your soul. And so that is God's desire for us, is that we would have life In Christ. And so he says instead be filled with the spirit. And so a couple of observations of this line. So first off, when he says be filled, um, what this word uh, means coming out of the Greek is it means to to find completion, uh, to finalize, um, to find overall contentment. And so um, and so that being said, we tend to want to seek to complete ourselves in idols, but particularly in marriage. Jerry Maguire, <laughs> right? On the elevator, what's the theme line from Jerry Maguire? You complete. Right, you complete me. And that is, that's an example of, the, um, of kind of the idolatrous nature of marriage and the culture. This, this thinking of like, if I find that person, they'll complete me. In particular, they'll fix my problems with self-worth. Uh, they'll fix my problems with loneliness and isolation. Uh, they'll fix my problems with being discontent, and I'll be happy. And so, basically, um, there is this: when we ha- when we make marriage into an idol, we p- expect it to fix problems that only God can fix, only Jesus can fix. And so, so He says, "Be completed by the Spirit." Something also interesting is this: is a "be filled" um, is a present imperative in Greek. And so, um, what we what that tells us is in Greek. Uh, you have verbs that are like punctiliar; they look like completed verbs, like a one-time event. And then you have verbs that are uh, continuous, so they it's it's like a process that you're continually pursuing. Uh, so when he says "be filled," like seek your contentment, it's not like one time seek your contentment in the spirit. It's his imperative is continually seek your contentment in the spirit. And so, um, so that being said, we can see the next verses kind of demonstrate. Uh, the heart effect when you seek your contentment in Christ. Um, he goes on in verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So basically, uh, when you truly find your life in Christ, you know, what, what, if someone is singing um, and rejoicing in that kind of way, like what is the state of their inner life? What does that reflect? Reflects a great sense of joy, um, a great sense of contentment, and so um, and so he's saying basically, um, find your life in Christ to the point that you're complete, to the point that it overflows out of your life, um, and so this is a this is a statement of the depth of contentment that we seek in Christ, and then next he says giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name, of our Lord Jesus Christ, so you know thankfulness is a tremendous strategy against anger and discontentment because when you're thankful when you're grateful uh, it's pretty hard to be angry and it's pretty hard to be dissatisfied Uh, and so when you think about um, what we have received in the gospel um, that we've been rescued uh, rescued from judgment and we've been brought into um, relationship with God that we've been given the certain hope of eternal life in heaven we've that God dwells in us that we've been brought into God's kingdom uh, there is this sense of gratitude and so and so, the fruit of that is a thankful heart. Um, and, and where does it say that this thankfulness is directed for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? So basically we're seeing God as the source of our contentment. Um, so now we've, he's, he's saying, find satis- you know, repent from idolatry. Don't put your expectations there. Find your satisfaction in Christ to the point that it's overflowing out of you. Have a thankful heart. Thank the Lord for all things. And then we start to move into, um, start to move into, what you know, um, how that affects the way that we relate to people. He says, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Now, you know, uh, this the, the 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 text below where it talks about um, wives submitting to your husbands, um, it gets a bad rap, <laughs> um, and it's. Uh, Some of that is is because of the way that uh, in our culture we tend to think of submission. Some of that is um, because a lot of people in the church historically have abused these verses uh, to uh, marginalize women, to to, to control women, um, and to justify abuse. Uh, And it's it's horrific. Um, But what we'll see here, uh, we'll get into that in a second, is that um, is that the love of Christ leads us to want to submit to, uh, to everyone, male, female, friend, mom, dad, children, um, out, of, out of love for Christ. Basically, in, the, in the, the mentality of Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about, don't, don't consider your interests greater than the interests of other people, uh, but instead have the mindset of Christ, uh, who, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took the nature of a servant, um, to the point that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So basically, um, when we are really filled in the Spirit and when we are in the Gospel, um, we not, we're, it's like we're good. Like, we are taken care of. Like, I'm covered by Jesus, now I can focus on you. You know, like you have that conversation in marriage or just in life in general where a person is being unreasonably critical of you, they're not seeing your side, um, and you're just so so frustrated. You want to be heard. You want to be understood, but you're able just to kind of sit there and take it because you're like, I'm covered by Christ, and I can listen to you, and I can be compassionate of whatever you're going through. Um, and instead, I, you know, and I, I can kind of be patient and compassionate with you in that moment because I'm so so complete in Christ. That that's that's um uh that that that's kind of the nature of what we're talking about in terms of being able to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, but so. Before I kind of go into this next part of Ephesians, the thing I want to communicate is a lot of discontentment that people find, and I'm talking in a normal marriage. I'm not talking about um, an abusive situation. But like in a normal marriage, a lot of the discontentment that people find, a lot of the resentment they have is based on unrealistic expectations that they have about marriage and unrealistic expectations that they have in their spouse as a product of that. They kind of expect their spouse to be God. They expect their spouse to understand them. They expect their spouse to read their mind. They expect their spouse to make them happy. They expect their spouse to fix their problems with loneliness and isolation. They expect their spouse to fix their issues with their self worth. And like, your spouse cannot do that. Like, your spouse is not God. And so, uh, you know, in the Bible, in Proverbs, it talks about. He who finds a good wife, or he who finds a wife, finds a good thing. It doesn't say a great thing. It doesn't say a very good thing. It doesn't say the best thing. It says a good thing. And that, that, you know, and that, that goes both ways. The he who finds a, or she who finds a husband, um, she who finds a husband, uh, finds a good thing. And that, I, actually the Proverbs would probably say finds a, an above average thing. <laughs> that would be more like it, right? Um, but um yeah, I anyway, know if you're shooting for above average with a husband, you're doing pretty well. No just kidding. Um uh, but all that to say like the Bible does not present marriage as the ultimate thing. Um the Bible presents God as the ultimate thing. God presents himself as the ultimate thing. And so I think part of part of what I'm going for, going with or part of what I'm trying to communicate here um is that one of the biggest problems in our marriage is unrealistic expectation. Um and uh, and, and the placement of our expectation, which should be in Christ. Uh, so with that being said, I, I want to look at how the Bible talks about God. Let's look at how the Bible talks about God here in the way that it presents him. So this is, this is Revelation chapter 5, and uh, this is how Jesus is regarded in heaven by the saints and the angels. It says, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our Lord. They will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory, and praise. Okay, your husband, or your wife, like, there is no context in which thousands of angels are going to bow down before them and say, worthy are you to be praised. Worthy are you to receive honor and power and praise. But this is how Jesus is regarded. Just to to, 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 also to hammer down this point of the difference in expectation in Christ versus the expectation um, of uh, in human beings. And so, um, so, going into this next section about... Um, Husbands and wives, uh, and I'm going to. I don't really have time to get to go as deep into this. I'd like, but this what I've been talking about this first half now flows into how how marriage is meant to look. It says, "Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, I'll say, wives should submit to hus- in everything to their husbands. Okay. So when we hear this, this sounds like we don't like this. Like this sounds misogynistic this sounds patriarchal um, but the, the part of that is because of of the way that we naturally think about power um, the way we think about power in the secular sense and in the in the flesh uh, is of domination uh, you know like I control you uh, you submit to me you do what I want you to do right go go do this go do that do this on my terms that is submission in a secular sense that is not submission in a biblical sense like Power in, uh, power in the kingdom of God, power as presented by Christ, is demonstrated by Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, washing the feet of the disciples. So power in Christianity, uh, strength comes through weakness. Um, life comes through death uh, and self-denial. Um, power is seen through service, by submitting yourself to God and submitting yourself to the service of other people. And so when it's saying here, wives submit to your husbands, uh, you could just honestly read this as husband wives love your husbands in a self-sacrificing way. You cannot ignore, I'm not gonna try to gloss over uh for the husband is the head of the wife. That that this word head is used, I think, seventeen times in the New Testament. Sixteen of seventeen, it's used in terms of authority. Like, you know, you're you're the leader. And so the way we should understand this is not like well, the husband's the CEO. He makes all the calls. You know, da da. It's the husband who's held accountable. That's you know that's part of why you have you have a head of different organizations. That's why you have a president of a company, or you have uh, you know a chairman of a nonprofit. You have a captain of a team. Is someone has to be held accountable, right? There you go. Thank you, James. Yeah. And so, with that being said, like the husband is held accountable for setting the tone uh, of self-sacrificing love. Um, and and you know, you tend to find that if you have a husband um, who is, you know, spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, and has a mentality of like, I'm here to serve my wife, I'm gonna serve her in every way, I'm gonna love her in every way, the the, the marriage tends to go in a pretty good direction. Um, It's just, it's kind of like, you know, Ed Salmon, uh, he's the Bishop of South Carolina who visited our church a number of times before he passed away, Uh, but Ed Salmon said, you know, he could visit a church and um, he could meet with the, pa- the head pastor for one hour. And he could say, after one hour, I-, I could know everything I needed to know about the whole church, just in that one hour, because I could you know, I could ask the head pastor about his relationship with Christ, about how he's doing emotionally, how he's doing relationally, and that would tell me everything I needed to know about the whole church. And so not to put all the pressure on husbands, um, but uh, the-, the promise of that is generally, speaking in generalities here, um, if you find a husband who is clicking spiritually with the Lord, um, who has good relationships, you know, across his life, um, particularly friendships with other men, um, and is emotionally healthy, the whole family tends to to flow in a pretty good direction. Um, So then, uh, going on to husbands, love your wives. I spent the whole time about wives talking about husbands. Sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) So verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word, so that he might present her might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. All right, so you need to one thing you need to hear no don't need to do that. One thing you need to hear is that this is radically feministic in its context, okay? I'm talking in a first-wave feministic kind of way. I'm not talking about third-wave feminism that's kind of crazy today. I'm talking for good Susan B. Anthony first-wave feminism, which is, uh, which is a biblical thing, that, that, that it is a Christian impulse to fight for the dignity of women, for women to be seen in, uh, as made in the full image of God. And we see anyone, regardless of race, class, sexuality, who is being denigrated, we want to uh, affirm their dignity as a human being regardless, right? So in this time, this would have been radically feministic because women were totally denigrated in this culture. Women were seen as dogs. Really, truly, this is not a joke. There was a prayer that was prayed, dear Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. That was a prayer that men prayed. So they saw women on the same level as men. So to say to husbands that you should love your wife as your own body uh, conveys an equality to women that would have been radical in that context. In In the early church, the majority of converts were women. Why? Part of it is because the Christian church treated women so much better than the rest of the culture. The Christian church... Bestowed a dignity and affirmed a dignity on women that was not seen anywhere else in the culture, and so all that to say, when you read this, you can. can, can, And this is, you know, and I have have total patience and understanding for someone who's not a Christian reading this and seeing it as misogynistic uh, and patriarchal, Um, because if you're not a Christian, you don't understand the power dynamics of Christianity. That power is comes through love and self-sacrificing service. Um, But basically. Um, this is this is saying this, is, this would have been a really hard word for a man to hear in that day because it would have totally defied his expectations, his view of women, and his understanding of how women would be treated. And so what Paul is saying here is, you need to, to put your wife above yourself. You need to serve your wife and humble yourself to whatever extent for the sake and the welfare and the sanctification of your wife. And so basically, um, basically, uh, what Paul is saying here is act like Christians. <laughs> that's really what he's saying. Because Christians, no matter who you're relating to, are meant to consider the welfare uh, and the interests of other people as more important than themselves. You know, we're meant to serve that person first. That's that's our mo. Uh, and how is it we're able to do that? Well, it goes back to the first thing we talked about. Uh, when you find your worth in Jesus, it doesn't really, you know, you, you don't. There's no problem humbling yourself. You know, there's no, there's no pride on the table because you're an adopted son or daughter of the king. You know? Uh, when you found your companionship in Christ such that your issues with loneliness, um, are assuaged, well, you're kind of have this mentality of like, hey, I'm good. Like, let, I can take care of you. Like, I'm covered right now. Um, and, you know, when you find your satisfaction in Christ, you're not, you don't need to use people, uh, to satisfy yourself. Because you're good. You're covered. Like you're, you're, You've already found your contentment through Christ. So you're now able uh, to love a person rather than objectify or use them to, to try to get your own satisfaction. Um, and so, so anyhow, to, to land the plane here, a couple of just practical things. Uh, yeah, we already hit, already hit that one. Takeaways. Okay. Uh, first takeaway. Uh, kids, listen to this part. Um, find your joy in Christ. That's the first thing. Um, and if you don't know what that means, call, call one of the pastors, call me. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. Um, that comes through having a daily relationship with Christ. And so I think you will find the more satisfied and content you are in your relationship with Christ, the more satisfied you're going to be in your marriage. Um, again, a lot of that is because of, because of your expectations are going to be much more realistic, uh, because your expectations are pointed in the right place in Jesus Uh, and so your expectations for your marriage and for your spouse are going to be much more reasonable and realistic. Um, Second thing is you need friends, you need Christian fellowship, and you need a life. (laughs) Um, So what I'm I'm saying there is it is, you know, we're we're talking about, um, you know, having realistic expectations in your spouse and in your marriage. For a lot of people you know, their spouse, they kind of see their spouse as the entirety of their social network, uh, the entirety of their relationship base. It's the only person they talk to about their problems. It's the only person they spend time with. It's the only person who hears them. And that's just, that again is like not a realistic expectation of your spouse. Like you are meant to live in community with friends uh, and, and mentors and other people. And so with that being said, um, that, is a, that is a gift from the Lord. And so, um, so you need, uh, you need friends, um, you need Christian fellowship, and you need a life. <laughs> you, you need things in your life that give you joy and, and happiness and fulfillment uh, that are gifts from the Lord, you know, like tennis or jogging or golf <laughs> or whatever your thing is. Um, and, uh, and, and, that, and that's another part of uh, kind of having these realistic expectations. That's really all I have to say. Um, does anyone who is older and wiser, or how about how, anyone who's older? You don't to be older than me to be wiser than me. Anybody who's wiser than I would uh, ha- like to chime in. i, I can say Cameron, that one thing you touched on very early in this class, mm-hmm. this, this, and you repeated it a couple of times, but of it bears up. This thing about gratitude mm-hmm. is really, really... Because it does push out uh, all the dissatisfaction and discontent. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible to be discontented when you're truly grateful for the good things, and that's that's something that doesn't come naturally to most of us. Uh, but it's true. Yeah. So. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Um, anyone else who's wiser than I? Yes. Sort of a question that um, I do feel like um, because it's an idol, people if they're unhappy or not, they're going to kind of keep it bottled up. And of my friends that have ended their marriages, by the time they finally come out with it, they are just over it and done because they, along that journey, they never came, just vented to a friend or went to a counselor or felt like it was defeat to even get yeah. to a counselor. Yeah, they are in isolation, mm-hmm. and so there's there was no one along the way to say, um, to give them like direction, of, like maybe y'all should go to counseling, or or to maybe, maybe uh, s- you know, speak into their negative contribution to the marriage. Like, what about your side of this? Yeah, so that's that's really a good point, and that's part of the needing to be in fellowship and community. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah? Um, I'm not professing to be wiser. Um, I will. But you are. no. Uh, but uh, Martin Allet said something about marriage once um, that Oscar says all the time, which is that um, that one needs to have a robust doctrine of marriage, and that one needs to understand that over the course of your marriage, you may be married to five or six different people, whilst being married to the same person. <clears throat> that is to say, Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. But the person that you're married to is mm-hmm. a broken sinner who goes through, you know, peaks and valleys, and you know, can, is is susceptible to suffering and change, you know, just like anyone. Yeah, good word. That's a really good word. Anybody else? Questions? One thing. Yes, bring it. Uh, Stanley um, Law said, um, in, in relation to that, is that you always marry the wrong person. Hmm. So, you know, there's that internal mind that everybody, when something goes wrong, and you think, well, maybe I didn't find the one. And that's, everyone marries the wrong person. And what he means by that is that that other person is sinful, is not going to fulfill your deepest needs. Hmm. You have to see it that way and put him on equal standing with yourself. Oh, that's really good. Really, really good. She should have really taught the class. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think we're uh, I think we're out of time. Let me pray for us. Um, thanks for coming. Next week we'll talk about um, a, a lot of what Emily and Rita talked about: uh, marriage is a covenant and the nature of that. All right. Jesus, thanks for Mother's Day. Thanks. Um, thank you for the, the moms in this room, Lord, and I pray that you would uh, bless them and um, Lord, wherever we are, whatever our situation, uh, I pray that you would, um, that you would bless our view of marriage. If, we're, if, you are, if we are married, um, bless bless our marriages, please, Lord. Protect them and, and nurture them. And um, if we're not married, uh, pray, Lord, that we would know that we're uh, first and foremost married uh, to Christ. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.